morning, everyone. It's a beautiful morning this day, and it's good to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Eddie Joe, for that great welcome. I appreciate that so much. Um, I was going to ask the same question this morning. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, amen. Do you believe in miracles? I believe in miracles. I am a walking miracle today. A couple of weeks ago, I wasn't walking, but today I am. And uh, I was able to throw away those crutches. And and, uh, God has healed, and he is a good God. And uh, many of you have been praying, so I thank you for that. I thank you for your prayers. And... um, But you know, we're continuing our series in the miracles of Jesus as found in the book of John. And uh, you know, the purpose, and this has been said before, the purpose of the gospel of John is to show or to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that all who believe in him would have eternal life. And that's the basic gospel truth. But it's so important for us to, to understand that and to realize that. And as we read through the scriptures, as we read through the Bible, as we look and hear and, and teach and study about the miracles of Jesus and his teachings through the book of John, we realize that that's the most important thing. And so my prayer, my prayer for each and every one of you this morning is that you would know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt within your own heart, within your own soul, within your own, in your own mind, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that your belief in him, and the fact that you've received him into your life, uh, you have the promise of eternal life. And if there's any doubt about that amongst you this morning, I pray that you would make it right before you leave today. And I hope that as you, maybe you've been a believer for many years, but as you share your faith, as you share your life with others, you need to share with them the truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the various miracles. We've seen how Jesus turned the water into wine, how he healed the official's son, how he healed the man that was lame for more than 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And last week, Yvonne spoke about that wonderful miracle of turning just a simple boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish and fed more than 5,000 people. That was a wonderful miracle. And so today... We're looking in John chapter 6. We're still in John chapter 6. And this is the very, very same day. Whether you believe it or not, this miracle or this sign takes place on the same day when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish and he fed more than 5,000. It's John chapter 6, starting with verse 15 and going through 21. And this is the miracle or this is the sign of Jesus walking on water. You know, the story of Jesus walking on the water is perhaps, at least to me, the strangest, the strangest of all his miracles to the modern mind. At first glance, if you've seen in the the movie or the video, it seems to be either an episode of unnecessary magic or perhaps a spooky moment from a ghost story. Um, But, you know, as we look closer at this, with a more careful examination it reveals that this sign or this miracle is one of the most comforting incidents in the Gospel of John. And we're going to take a little bit closer look at that. And so this morning we see, we see in this sign or in this miracle, as we see in no other miracle, 
there are three things I leave with you this morning. Three very simple things. The first thing we see in this miracle is we see the uncertainty of life. The uncertainty of life. You know what I mean when I say the storms of life. We've all been through the storms of life. Verse 18 says, a strong wind was blowing. As the disciples got into the boat, the sea was very calm, but pretty soon the wind started blowing, and the waters grew rough. We've all been through the storms of life, haven't we? At one time or another. And if you haven't, I assure you, you probably will one of these days. But you know what that means, right? A storm in your life. Unexpected bad news. Maybe it's a medical complication. Maybe it's a sudden loss of a job or perhaps a, a financial struggle. Perhaps it's a relationship issue. Maybe, maybe you discovered that your spouse was unfaithful to you. Or maybe you're just having a really hard time at work with, with a coworker or or with your boss. The storms of life. Here at the Croc Center, we've been experiencing a few storms these last several weeks, in the last couple of months as well. And you know, it's been a real test of my faith to have to preach on this subject about the storms of life, but to have to also live through it and try to practice what I preach. It's not always easy to do that. But somehow that's the way life is at times. God calls us to be faithful in spite of the storms of life. And we all go through those things. And our faith is always tested. So let's look a little bit deeper into the uncertainty of life. Let's take a little closer look at the storms of life. And so the first thing I want to look at is the suddenness of the storm. The suddenness of the storm. You may recall that Major Demi and I went to the Holy Land last fall. And we, were, we actually sailed on this very sea, the Sea of Galilee. They called it a lake. And the day we sailed on it, it was beautiful. We went off in the morning. The water was calm. It was very peaceful. And we went out about a mile, and then the, the captain turned the motor off, and everything was quiet and peaceful, and all you could hear was the small ripples of the water against the boat. It was so peaceful. It was so calm. But I recall my first trip to the Holy Land, which was almost 30 years ago. And I sailed on that same sea 30 years ago. But this time we left in the afternoon and we we left the shore and we went out and it was a beautiful day and the sea was calm. But as soon as we got in the middle of the sea, all of a sudden the weather changed. Very quickly, very suddenly, the wind started blowing and the waves started getting bigger and bigger and pretty soon the boat was just rocking like that. And we were in the middle of a storm. The suddenness of the storm. Isn't real life like that? Sometimes these storms come at the most unexpected times. I think about September 11, 2001. How suddenly that hit our country and our nation. I think of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Just a couple of weeks ago, where in a matter of minutes, 17 people were shot and killed. I remember the fires in Northern California last year where people only had a few seconds to gather all their belongings that they could carry and run out of their house before their house burst into flames. 
I remember the fatal hit-and-run accident right here on our island in Makaha just last week where two young lives were suddenly taken. You see, the storms of life come up suddenly when you least expect it. What else about the uncertainty of life? It's the suddenness of the storm. The second thing is the tiredness of the disciples. If you recall, this was the exact same day that Jesus performed the miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fish, where they fed 5,000. If you can imagine the disciples that day, how many of you ever fed 5,000 people in one setting? I don't think so. You know, every year we go to the Blaisdell. The Salvation Army puts on an annual Thanksgiving meal, a luncheon, and we serve about 2,000 people. But we have about 600 volunteers that help us. But can you imagine the disciples that day? Just 12 of them, just 12 of them trying to organize and serve more than 5,000 people. And the Bible says it was only 5,000 men. They didn't even count the women and the children back then. So it was probably close to 10,000 people. But if you can imagine the disciples, just their, their physical tiredness, just their emotional tiredness. I mean, they had witnessed this wonderful miracle, but they were probably just exhausted emotionally, exhausted physically. And you know what? We need to watch out when we're physically tired because that's when the enemy attacks. When your resistance is low, when you're physically and emotionally drained, let me tell you, don't make any big decisions when you're tired, when you're exhausted. But be on guard for spiritual attacks because that's when the attacks come. Don't let your guard down. It's so important, and we've been trying to emphasize this, to stay in the Word of God, to be read up, to be prayed up, because you never know when the attacks will come. You never know when the storms of life will hit you, and they hit you in the most inopportune moments. You see, the disciples, they just had this huge mountaintop experience. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a little sack lunch. That was a mountaintop experience. But just a few hours later, the storm, the storm came right after that mountaintop experience. So we see the suddenness of the storm, the tiredness of the disciples, and the third thing about the uncertainty of life is the darkness of the night. The darkness of the night. There was an uncertainty about the disciples when they got into the boat. When the storm started coming up, there was a fear of the unknown. Verse 17 says, By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus had not yet joined them. And so because Jesus wasn't there, they were afraid. Where is God? Where is Jesus? We need him. You know, in the midst of the storm... In the lives of the disciples, there was an apparent absence of the Lord. You know, when we are experiencing storms, it sometimes seems as if God is far away. Sometimes it seems as if he's, he's absent, that he's nowhere to be found. I don't know about you, but when I've gone through some storms in my life, sometimes I feel that way. 
I feel that I've been abandoned, or I feel very alone. And sometimes I cry out, God, where are you? You see the uncertainty of life. Well, you know, the story doesn't end there. If it ended there, then it would be very sad. But here's the next point I want you to remember. And you see up on the slide here, it says, if you go to the next slide, it says, even though the, the uncertainty of life, which we just, just talked about, will always be transformed by what? By the majesty of Jesus. Say the majesty of Jesus. Majesty. Say it one more time, the majesty of Jesus. And you think of all the things that are going on in our life, all the storms and all the, the negative and bad things that are taking place that could drain us down. But here comes Jesus walking on the water. And he is our Savior. And it's the majesty of Jesus. And that's what we need to focus on and who he is and what his character is. In spite of our circumstances, Jesus comes. And so just four simple things I want to leave with you this morning about the majesty of Jesus. And number one, sometimes this is a tough one for me to to understand or to fully understand. Number one, there is nothing, there is nothing outside of his control. Nothing. You see, this was a test of faith for his disciples. Remember, they had just fed 5,000 people, probably 10,000 people. They had seen Jesus turn water into wine. They had seen Jesus heal the young boy. They had seen Jesus heal this man who was lame for 38 years and told him to pick up his mat and go home. And they had seen Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish to feed this multitude. It was a test of faith for them. God could control nature. He could change the course of nature. And we live under God's providence and care. God has everything under control. The future, our circumstances. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses. And he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are caught according to his purpose. And sometimes we question that. Now it doesn't say God causes all, th- God, it doesn't say God says that all things are good, but it says God causes all things to work together for good. The things that we think are bad or are not good, God can still use that for his good, and for his glory. And you know, and sometimes, like I said, this is a test of faith. Sometimes it's hard to to obey this verse or to believe this verse because we get surrounded by our circumstances and we can say, this can't be good. How can this be good? So do we really believe God's word? Do we really believe what he says here? Sometimes it's hard, and I admit that. But remember, it's a test of our faith. We can't always see. We may not fully understand what's going on. But that's where we need faith. And our faith needs to be in the word of God. Because God says he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, 
Do you love him? To those who are called according to his purpose, are you called according to his purpose? And if that's the case, the promise is for you that God does cause everything to work together for good, for his good, and ultimately for our good as well. So there's nothing outside of his control, nothing. And the second thing is, there's nowhere, there's nowhere beyond his reach. You see, when the disciples were in the storm, where was Jesus? He wasn't with them. He wasn't in the boot, in the boat. But look at verse 15. It says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, and this was the people, because he had just performed this wonderful miracle, they wanted to come and make him king. It says, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This was right after he multiplied the loaves and the fish, and before the storm hit. Jesus took off, went by himself up to the mountain. And what did Jesus do? Jesus often went off to the mountain by himself. What would he do when Jesus would go off by himself? He would pray, exactly. He would spend time with his Father. And so, where was Jesus when the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the storm? He was praying for them. He was praying for them. He hadn't abandoned them. He was actually lifting them up in prayer to his Father. And you think about us, when we think God has abandoned us in the midst of our storms, Jesus is interceding for us right now in the midst of the storm. You know, the Bible tells us that the enemy, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But be assured, the enemy does not get the last word. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and rescues those who are crushed in spirit. You know, I think brokenhearted and, and a crushed spirit adequately describes what many of us feel like when we're going through a storm. But we have the assurance that when we're feeling like that, when we're going through the storms, that the Lord has not abandoned us. That it says in Psalms that the Lord is close. He's close by. And he cares for us. And he's interceding for us in our times of storms. So there's nothing outside of his control. Absolutely nothing. There's nowhere beyond his reach. And number three, there's no pit so deep. There is no hole so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Many years ago, I spent some time in prison. I served some time there. I wasn't serving time as an inmate. I was serving as a chaplain intern in a federal prison for a couple of months. And I learned a lot in that prison. I met men who had done some horrible things. This was a federal prison. So things like robbing banks, homicide, extortion. And after a while, you get to know some of the guys, and you get past some of the, the hard shells or the, the tough images they put out as you get to know them, as you begin to talk story with them. And I still remember talking to several of them, reminding them that, hey, in spite of what you've done and you're doing your time now, 
There is a God who loves you. There's a God who cares for you. There's a God who has mercy for you. And many of them thought, there's no way. And they were being very honest. He says, there's no way. God can never love me. After what I've done, God could, he could never love me. I, I can't even fathom that. And so I would constantly pray and just constantly talk to them and remind them and go back to the word of God. And the one verse that I kept using was Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while you guys were still committing your crimes, Jesus Christ died for us. That's grace. That's love. That's mercy. And it was a message of grace. And I'm glad to say that several of them actually received that message. And that was heartwarming. But the message of grace, there's a song, and I wish I could sing it, but I, I can't sing it this morning, so I'm just going to read one verse and one in the chorus of this song. And it's a beautiful tune, and it sounds a lot better when it's sung, but it's called, Oh, the Wonder of His Grace. It's an old Salvation Army song, and it starts out like this. It says, Many are the things I cannot understand. All above me mystery I see. But the gift most wonderful from God's own hand Surely is his gift of grace to me. Higher than the stars that reach eternity, broader than the boundaries of endless space, is the boundless love of God that pardoned me. Oh, the wonder. Oh, the wonder of his grace. You see, there is no hole, there is no pit that is so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And the fourth thing about the majesty of Jesus is that there is no one above his authority. There's no one above his authority. As the disciples were in the boat and they saw Jesus, this image walking on the water, some thought it was a ghost. Some thought they were hallucinating. But then they heard the familiar sound of his voice. And Jesus said as he approached him in the storm. And it's interesting because in the video, again, it's just a movie. The wind was blowing, the water was blowing all over, everybody was wet. Jesus was dry. It didn't seem like the waves hit him at all. But that's Jesus. But as he approached the boat, he said in a very calm spirit, he said, number one, don't be afraid. We're in the middle of a, when we're in the middle of a storm, fear is probably the biggest thing that's controlling us. Fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty, fear of what's going to take place, what's going to happen to me or to my loved ones. And Jesus comes and he says, don't be afraid. It is I. It is I. You see, Jesus had the authority over the wind and the waves. Jesus had the authority over nature. We already saw him perform many miracles. And in the original language, when he says, don't be afraid, it is I. He's actually saying, don't be afraid, I am. He uses that phrase, I am. It's the same phrase that God used when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses says, who, who, who am I going to say he sent me? And he says, 
I am. Tell them that I am said you. That's God. So Jesus came and says, don't be afraid. I am. I am God. You know, we're doing a, our next sermon series after the miracles of Jesus is a sermon series called the I am. The I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to discover more about Jesus when he says, I am. But here he's saying to his disciples, don't be afraid. I am is here. I am the eternal God. I have authority over everything. I am Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So you see, the uncertainty of life will always be transformed by the majesty of Jesus which produces in us, and we can enjoy the third and the final point this morning, that we can enjoy the security of the believer. The security of the believer. Turn to your neighbor and say, the security of the believer. And it's important to know this. Remember, the whole point of the Gospel of John is to know or to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him, you have eternal life. So you need to be secure in, your, in the sense of your relationship with God. You need be, to be secure in it. So we talk about the, secure, the security of the believer. And let's, let's go in further. And let's, th- there's just a couple of things. Number one, make the invitation. Make the invitation. When the disciples realized that it was Jesus walking on the water, they invited him into the boat. Look at verse 21. You see, it says, then they were willing to take him into the boat. You know, Jesus was the only one that could save them from the storm. And if he could walk on the water, he could certainly save them. Yet, here's the point, they had to invite him into the boat. It's an important point to remember. They had to invite him into the boat. You know, Jesus, Jesus will not enter until he is invited. Jesus respects us so much as a human being that he will not come into a place where he's not wanted, where he is not invited. God has given us as human beings free will, freedom of choice, And we can choose to invite Jesus into our life or we can choose to ignore him and not invite him in. You see, Jesus will not force himself upon anyone against their will. It's our responsibility. It's on us to make the invitation. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to all who made that invitation and said, Jesus, come in, Come into the boat. Come into my life. Come into my home. Come into my heart. He says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's the importance of that personal invitation that we all need to make, every single one of us. Jesus is knocking on the door. That was the verse this morning in our Bible reading on our our Bible app. I stand at, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, and there's only a handle on the inside of the door, there's no handle on the outside. So we control that door. 
Yet, yet we make the invitation. We say, Jesus, come in. And so it's so important to understand that. That Jesus will not come in and enter your life unless you invite him in. And so we need to pray that prayer of invitation. We also need to keep praying every day. After we receive Jesus into our heart, we, we pray. It's like we breathe. You breathe out and you breathe in. You breathe out and you breathe in. And so when we breathe out, we repent. We repent of our sins. I liked it when Greg prayed today. He repented of his sins and our sins. So you repent and then you receive. You repent and then you receive. And you do that on a daily basis. We need to do that. We need to keep our hearts clean. So we need to be constantly repenting and receiving. Repenting and receiving. Confess our sins and believe the promises of God's scripture. And you do that on a regular basis. You do it on a daily basis. So that becomes like second nature. Like you don't think about breathing, do you? You just breathe in and out, in and out. That's the same way it should be with our prayers. That we're constantly, on a moment-by-moment basis, repenting and receiving, repenting and receiving. But we need to make the invitation. And then the, the second thing is that we need to discover the destination. Discover the destination. When Jesus got into the boat... It says in verse 21, they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's interesting. As soon as Jesus got into the boat, it says immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They made it to their destination. You see, we, I believe we were all born with a longing for home. Whatever home is for you. What is home for you? Maybe some of you, it's Hawaii. Maybe some of you it's Georgia, or maybe it's Korea, or maybe it's Texas. You see, what is home for you? But I believe we all have a deep longing for our ultimate destination, which is heaven. Which is heaven. Some of you may have heard that Billy Graham, the great evangelist, a great man of God, passed away. You know, we in the Salvation Army, we say a person is promoted to glory. They receive the highest promotion. But Billy Graham said this in one of his books. He said, my home is in heaven and I'm just traveling through this world. And so we rejoice with the angels in heaven that Billy Graham is, is finally at home where he belongs, where the Lord has just welcomed him. And where it's a place where he's been looking forward to going for so many years. My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. You see, we are all created with a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped void within us that can only be filled with God. And we have that emptiness and that longing, that void, and sometimes we fill it up with a lot of other things, and it never satisfies because the only thing that can satisfy that and fill that is God. Because it's a God-shaped void or a God-shaped vacuum. And so when we invite Jesus into our lives, we're home. We're home. Where Jesus is, it's heaven there. That void, that emptiness is now filled. And there's a peace. There's a peace that surpasses and transcends all understanding and comprehension. And you know it if you have it. 
And it's that peace that says in Philippians, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And as we make the invitation, as we make the invitation for Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, and as we discover the destination, we can be secure. We can be secure in our salvation. We can be secure in our relationship with Jesus. There doesn't need to be any doubts at all. We can be secure in that. And so that is my prayer for us this morning. And so this sign, this miracle, it says that the uncertainties of life will always be transformed by the majesty of Jesus, which produces in us, and we can enjoy the security of the believer. Major Debbie is going to come up, and she's going to do a signing to a beautiful song called Adonai, Adonai, which means Lord. And we've been talking about the majesty of Jesus, the fact that he's Lord, he's, and the word Adonai means not just Lord, but my Lord, the great Lord, the Lord that's, that we can say, Lord, I completely submit to you because you are the Lord, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And as the song is played and as she signs to it, you consider in your own heart, in your own life, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And if not, make it so today. <clears throat> let's, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a faithful God. In spite of the many storms and uncertainties of life. You are always there, close beside us. Father, remind us of that today. Remind us that you care for us and that you love us. And even before we aware of, were aware of it, your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. So Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice this morning. I pray, Lord, that they would know your Son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior. And if they haven't already, that they would make that invitation. And it's a very simple one. It's just saying with a very pure heart, say, Lord, forgive my sins. I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me the kind of person you want me to be, to give me the promise of eternal life and the hope of an abundant life. And I pray, Father, for every person here. And so, Lord, remind us again and keep reminding us and whispering in our ears, Lord, that you love us and you care for us. And even though we may not be able to see what tomorrow holds, we have faith and belief and a trust that we are held in your hands, Father, and that you provide a way. And that you cause all things, all things, to work together for good to those who love you, and we love you, and to those who are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, make that so in our lives. So thank you again, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.